1: the election of Donald Trump as President of the United States, investors bid up biopharmaceutical stocks. It reflected a belief that a Trump administration will remove the threat of price controls on drugs and represent a friendlier regulatory environment at the FDA. We spoke to Amy Brown, senior reporter and author of the EP Vantage 2017 preview, about What's in store for the biopharmaceutical sector in the year ahead, what to look for, and why it may turn out to be a big year for M&A activity. Amy, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks very much for talking to us.
1: We're going to talk about the new EP Vantage Report 2017 preview, the outlook for the biopharmaceutical sector in the year ahead, and what issues may be shaping investors' perceptions about the industry. Let's start with the election of Donald Trump. This is an event that biopharmaceutical investors appear to view positively. What did we see happen to stocks in the sector following the election?
2: Well, I think, um, I mean, really, it can be described as a bit of a relief rally, and The result was certainly a surprise. I think um, everybody was pretty sure Clinton was going to win. Um, And as one of my colleagues is fond of saying, Wall Street is always terrified of Washington and um, what they're going to do, particularly the Democrats. But, I mean, I think Trump and particularly the Republicans generally are seen as much more pro-business. And really it it was a relief that perhaps some of the measures that Clinton was threatening weren't going to happen. Um, I mean, as the report says, you know, ever since Clinton put some to boy in the middle of 2015, fears about political action and drug pricing which has, been, has really spooked investors. Um, her comments triggered a correction in equity evaluations, which is arguably still going on. So a combination of that and the drug pricing concerns really made the sector an unattractive place to be for investors over the last 18 months.
1: Well, how big um, a threat were there of new pricing regulations under Clinton. and Has that threat gone away?
2: Well, I mean, I think with any politician, what they say they're going to do and what they actually end up doing is not necessarily anywhere close. Um, The threat was certainly perceived to be greater under Clinton. Um, She actually vocalized the measures, whereas I think Trump still very much remains an unknown um, quantity. I mean, they both raised the prospect of giving Medicare the rights and renegotiate drug prices, although that will ever, whether that will actually ever get through, I think, is, is another question. Um, but I think, I mean, realistically, with drug prices, you know, there are so many parties involved in the US system. You know, you've got the manufacturers, the pharmacy benefit managers, the insurance companies. It's what any one thing, any one person can do, is, it, it still remains to be seen, you know, it's probably... As someone who I quoted in our report said, it will be an iterative process that will have to take place in um, small steps. But, I mean, I think what certainly will happen is perhaps, you know, aggressive political rhetoric will wheel in as long as no one does anything particularly outrageous. Um, and everyone thinks that the Trump and the Republicans will be perhaps more benign. I mean, the issue certainly isn't going to go away. Um, I don't think anybody expects that.
1: Oh, there's been some discussion that a lead contender to head the U.S. Food and Drug Administration under Trump would dramatically want to change the path to a drug getting to market by establishing only safety and dropping the requirement to demonstrate efficacy. Uh, Yesterday, we heard that Scott Gottlieb uh, is a lead contender. Even if we don't see anything radical, what's the Trump FDA likely to mean for this industry?
2: Well, I think, um that's probably another reason the stocks went up. I think, you know, he talked a lot about shaking up the FDA, and I think both of the contenders you mentioned, Jim O'Neill and Scott Gottlieb, were both advocated, you know, faster drug approvals, and both talked about, you know, regulations as hindering innovation. And um, so I think there's a lot of expectation that the, the FDA will, perhaps, the, at least the 10-year, the um its approach of drug approvals will become faster, or, and I think there will be a lot of political pressure for it to do that. Um, I mean, again, there's I'm sure there's a lot of people at the FDA who don't want that, so the extent to which things will get faster, again, remains to be seen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see a loosening of regulations. I mean, I don't think anyone will, could advocate a less of a focus on safety I mean, no, I remember the bio. Um, but you know maybe a more focus on accelerated approvals I think that's certainly something that got Gottlieb talked about that was certainly time with the Cures Act that um, was just been passed um, overall hard to say until we know the final concept, but it, I mean it, it does seem likely you that know, there will be a shift in tone at the SEo over the next few years and I bet investors again are assuming it's going to be a, an industry-friendly tilt
1: Uh, Another bet investors may be making here is that a Trump administration may create a U.S. tax repatriation holiday. What's the likelihood of that, and what could the impact be on M&A activity in the sector?
2: I mean, again, this is something that was um, talked about by Trump, and I think another reason for investors coming back into the sector. Um, uh, You know, the action will be widely supported by the Republicans, perhaps not so much by the Democrats. And last time we had a tax repatriation, we had a tax repatriation holiday, I think there was restrictions on what the money could be spent on. So companies were prohibited from using it, uh, for objective compensation or stock buybacks. Um, although in the event, I think much of it actually went that way. Um so, yeah, people are expecting some, um, rise in domestic acquisitions should this happen. Um, and it's also interesting to see a lot of the companies with the biggest kind of offshore cash pools have the biggest desire or indeed need to buy. I mean, you've got um, Gilead is supposed to have 16 billion off share, about 50% of its total assets. Um, and uh, Lilly now, again, quite a kit after their Alzheimer's blood. They've got 7 billion offshore. Um, so we could see um, people looking inside. I mean, I think it's interesting to see that the Johnson Johnson approach to act has happened now. I mean, Johnson Johnson, by our calculations, um, they hold almost all of their cash offshore. Um, they've got about thirty-eight billion, but yet they've gone after European target. You know, maybe they don't see a repatriation holiday happening, um, or at least not for some time. Although they don't see, don't see any US targets, they like. Um, but I think the other thing to remember with this is that you know these big companies, they're still able to raise a lot of money. They can still pretty much buy what they want. Repatriation holiday or no. I mean, we saw Sanofi selling negative interest bonds this year. You know, people are paying to lend the money. I mean, arguably all this offshore cash isn't actually holding anything back, but, uh,
1: yeah, we definitely will be watching that one. So well, while Sanofi may be able to get negative interest bonds, smaller companies are, are not looking at, at a finance landscape that's as encouraging. What's the outlook for venture capital investment and IPO activity in 2017?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think IPO activities definitely um uh, calmed down from, you know, late 2014, 2015. This year was a lot quieter. I think a lot of expect- people expecting next year to be similarly, uh, relatively quiet, I guess. Um uh, Again, I think last year it was a function of a lot of investor money exiting healthcare. Um, people a lot of reporting with a lot of money coming back into the sector now. There so may be a few more companies will be able to find support. Although, you know, I think there's also an argument to be made that, you know, some some less robust companies arrived last year and the problem is that drags down sentiment towards the sector and perhaps they don't perform as well. Um venture funding on the other hand is still doing really well. Um a lot of the funds restocked in the last few years and they're still going to be investing very enthusiastically next year. Um we, when we saw a kind of a general dip in overall um, venture funding last year, I think, we've, uh, I think we're on track to be about the same as 2014 this year, about $7 billion probably invested into healthcare um, private companies. Because, of course, we've lost the crossover um, funds who kind of came on board to support all the, the IPOs. Um, so, overall, as a smaller company, I mean, life's a really bit harder I when mean, it's smaller always harder to raise money but you know if you're a company in an innovative area you know promising real improvement in a therapy area there's a lot of money to be had out there at the moment it's uh you know the venture funds are still a little optimistic it's interesting also some of the european funds I spoke to for this report were saying that you know there's a lot of u.s investors over here um, in europe now the u.s has become so competitive particularly on valuations that, U.S. venture firms are looking in Europe, where valuations are typically not as high, and um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of competition for um, interesting private company investments in, in Europe now, and I, and I can't see how that is going to change next year.
1: You mentioned Lily a moment ago, which recently had its closely watched Alzheimer's drug fail in, in late stage testing. What's the outlook for new drug approvals in the year ahead? Yeah,
2: they have got some pretty um, Pretty big ones on the horizon. Um, Roche should be launching its new drug next year, Grievous, That will hit on approval before the end of this year. That's like the last big approval we're waiting for in 2016. I mean, that looks like it should sail straight through. Um, and the other big one is Sanofi's um, dermatology antibody to map. A little more controversial, that one. They've had some manufacturing problems a few um. Um, some of their sites so I think um, there will certainly be some nervousness around that one Um, and of course we've got the uh, a few more IO drugs we've got the AstraZeneca one coming next year Um, among among the smaller ones we're going to have the first two and Card T therapies um, coming up to the FDA we've got the Kite KITE and Novartis that they're going to file so they'll be going up against regulators that'll be interesting to watch as well particularly if the um, Changes at the head of the FDA do happen. Maybe there'll be more pressure to approve these kind of really experimental therapies um, than previously. Um, But, yeah, there's some pretty big approvals coming up this year that um, perhaps 2016 lacked.
1: And and overall, are you expecting an uptick or a downtick in in the number of drugs approved?
2: Well, it's a bit hard to say from the beginning of the year. I mean, there there was a big drop. Um, this year in the enemy approvals um, from the last couple of years, I'm still not entirely sure whether that that's a, a blip. Um, but as I said, there's a couple of big products that are, you know, commercially very valuable this year, and that should get um, more interest um, coming into the sector. I think. I mean, investors always like the, you know, the, the big drugs being approved. Um, I mean, I, I don't think there's any expectation there's going to be a big drop-off in kind of R&D productivity this year. But it's certainly something that people are watching out for after, I mean, 2013, 14, 15. We had some sort of massive drugs being approved. It's, um, it was always hard to see how that sort of, uh, you know, how, how that could be kept up, really.
1: Remove efficacy standards and it won't be a problem.
2: Well, <laughs> yes, <yeah>, that's one <laughs> way to be up from R&D productivity, yes. Yeah, so drop your standards and then open up the market.
1: Well, in, in terms of therapeutic sectors, where do you think the most compelling activity is going to be? What What do you think will really capture the attention of investors? Well, we've got the
2: um, I guess in cardiovascular, you know, uh, perhaps not as exciting as cancer, but uh, we've got the big um, outcome studies from the PCSK nine, um, Amgen, in early in the year with Repatha, Danofi towards the end of the year with Pralliant, Um, these kind of really potent. Cholesterol lowering drugs,
0: um,
2: very expensive and also obviously statins are all generic now. So these products really need to prove that they can help people live longer because their, you know, their, their cost is, is going to be really called into question if they're not actually helping people live longer. So that's gonna, I think that, 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 that's gonna be quite a similar moment for the cardiovascular space. Um, in immuno oncology, I think we're going to really start to see evidence of the potency of the checkpoint inhibitors in combination with chemotherapy, or indeed other IO approaches. Um, we've got AstraZeneca, we've got some lung data from them in the first quarter, and um, Bristol and Merck have got a lot of data coming up. I think I think we still really need to see the potential of these new. IO drugs in combination, because I think a lot of people think that is obviously where the potential is. We don't really know what these combined these agents can do, both on efficacy and safety. Um, so I think that's going to be very closely watched. And also, again, mentioned the CAR T therapies, they really uh, we really need more kind of like duration of response in these areas. Um, outside of cancer, we have got Nash. Still a big area that needs to prove itself. A lot of money gone into NASH. Gilead in particular, we spoke about Gilead earlier, and I think um, it's uh, it will be interesting to see whether they really commit to this area in a big big way. put a lot of money into it in the last few years. But again, it's one of those therapy areas where there's a lot of potential in patient numbers and supposedly this um, unmet need, but uh, there could be a lot of activity in that place, I think.
1: It, it's amazing to not only see Humira be the top-selling drug in two thousand and seventeen, but also one of the biggest growth stories. At, at what point do you expect it and other biologics to face real competition from biosimilars?
2: Yeah, I mean that was one of the really surprising findings I found actually from running the data on next year for last that, um, that Humira is still such a such an incredible franchise. Really, um, you can really see why it's such a massive target for the biosimilars. Um when will it face competition? Well, average says twenty twenty two, but when you look at um consensus forecasts it looks like the South Side is factoring this is gonna happen sooner, maybe twenty twenty. Um arguably not perhaps specific biosimilars against their molecule, but Pfizer is expected to launch their Embrel biosimilar inflectra any time now. Um, so, you know, AMPI going to really have to start defending its position in the anti-TNS world. They've enjoyed a very strong formative positioning. Um, the question is whether they're going to have to start cutting their price to keep that, you know, even before direct pressure. Um, I think we've got, Evaluate's got forecasts for about 500 million for Inflectra in 2022 for Pfizer. I mean, that's obviously nothing compared to Humira, um, but those forecasts are likely to be conservative. Um, so, I mean, I think the anti-TNS space is going to see a lot of pressure in the next couple of years. And I think that's going to be kind of like almost a test ground. You know, no one really knows how how quickly biosimilars are going to carve a notable bit of the market in America. You know, we've seen it in Europe, but, you know, there's a very different healthcare systems and different payers. So it will be very interesting to see how, firstly, how the branded companies move to defend their brands I don't think you can underestimate that either. Um, but also, how how much the biosimilar makers have prepared to discount to uh, to grab that share. Um, but beyond that, 2018, I think is when we're going to really see the biosimilar threat mounting, particularly for the cancer antibodies like the septum. Um We still very much need to see how the approval and the launch process goes in the US. Um, but, you know, if Europe's anything to go by, there's certainly demand for the biosimilar.
1: What about generics? What what major drugs are facing competition from generics in 2017?
2: Yeah, small molecule space is uh, perhaps not as exciting as the biosimilar space now. Um, I think we've got Viagra finally going off um, next year after years of managing to extend the patent. Um, but, yeah, nothing... And Cialis as well, similar drug, nothing major on the small molecule front really. mean, um, this year we saw we saw Crystal go, we saw some big small molecules, but I think um 2017 it's going to be when the um, biosimilars really are going to be uh are going to be the focus of the erosion of the big brands.
1: You, you mentioned Gilead earlier. There, there's been a bigger alignment in the the top 20 drug companies. Gilead has help not companies like AstraZeneca and BMS and, and Lilly off the list, but you expect Gilead's revenues to decline in the near term and say they'll need to look to acquisitions to build its revenue. What do you see happening there?
2: Yeah, well, I mentioned they've, um, been, uh, they've been really building up in Nash, which is definitely one to watch for them. Um, but, I mean, really, Gilead have been desperately trying to be something more than an anti-infective spy years, but, They've tried cardiovascular, they've tried cancer. You know, arguably they've been very disastrous moves. They haven't really made any footprint in any therapy area outside of their kind of stronghold of HIV and Hepatitis C. Um, You know, uh, and I think their management team is going to come under a lot of pressure if something doesn't happen. And you know, the pressure on them to do a big deal is it's got to be huge. um, We'll see what they what they do. Maybe it will try and stay within their anti-infective, I and mean, now she's kind of similar to that. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of really branch out, perhaps, you know, by near-term revenues in a, in a big move. You know, maybe help by the repatriation, uh, I mean, if, if Trump ever does it.
1: Uh, overall, how, how good or bad a year do you expect 2017 to be for the sector? Are there clear characteristics of what will define winners and losers?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, everybody, most people I spoke to this report are very, are very positive. Um, US elections out the way, you know, whatever you think of the outcome, you know, investors hate obfuscating more than anything else, so, you know, at least they know who's going to be in charge in the world's biggest drug market, they see what he's going to be, he's going to do, but, you know, overall, the U.S. climate is arguably improving for industry. Um, debt is cheap. Equity markets are okay-ish. Um, you know, unless um, I would have thought most uh kind of sensible ideas, uh, you know, are going to get funded next year. Um, and you also have to remember, you know, the farmer, big biotech, even some of the mid mid-sized companies are still desperate to buy. And um, you know, they need to keep restocking their pipelines. And M and A is a massive driver of value in this market and a massive source of inflow of funds as well.
0: You know, even
2: Selging, probably one of the most widely respected big biotechs now, you know, it's is the only one whose sales are growing on, you know, volume, not just big price rises. They're still a keen keen acquirer, you know, and that says a lot. These companies have to keep their feet on the pedal and that that you know, that makes that makes the good times for the sector for the smaller one particularly. Um, I guess things to watch. Watch Trump's appointments. You mentioned the FDA, that could throw a curveball. Who knows what the implications for that are in the long term. And of course political rhetoric on drug pricing, that, that's that's not going to go away and you know, in, oh, we spoke to people for this report who are really keen for industry to you know, mount a proper defence against this. You know, a lot of the Drugs they're bringing are, do represent huge advances and you know innovation needs to be paid for and I think the drug industry perhaps through past bad reputation has been very quiet on that. Um, so I think they need to kind of like, take control of that storm in a way. Um, you know if you're in the business of cutting edge differentiated products I think you, you know the climate's looking pr- pretty good in 2017. Um, Maybe, uh, if you fail even in this relatively friendly environment, then perhaps you're always supposed to fail. Um, but no, overall, I think bar disaster or something else coming out of left field, 2017 is looking pretty positive. A couple of big surprises last year, so who knows?
1: Amy Brown, senior reporter and author of the EP Vantage 2017 preview. Amy, thanks for your time today.
2: Thanks
0: very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.